Welcome to another edition of ABI Podcast, which features conversations with prominent figures in the bankruptcy world to discuss topics of interest to our members. I'm Juliette Morangello, resident scholar at the American Bankruptcy Institute. Today, I am pleased to welcome as my guests Patrick Darby, Daniel Egan, Mark Levinson, and George South, four of the authors of a new ABI book, Municipalities in Peril, the ABI Guide to Chapter 9, which they wrote with a fifth author, Slayton Dabney. Chapter 9 of the Bankruptcy Code allows a municipality to adjust its debts, and this book is a terrific guide to that part of the code. Chapter 9 is becoming a hot topic these days. The current recession is having a great impact on sales and property taxes, the primary sources of revenue for most municipalities. Today, the authors and I will discuss some topics covered in their book, as well as some of the financial problems facing cities today. Uh, thank you all for joining me. Um, Mark, the book sets forth Chapter 9 of the Bankruptcy Code and its differences from Chapter 11 in a very clear manner. Uh, who is the intended audience of this book? Well, the ABI is stocked full of many thousands of bankruptcy lawyers who are familiar with Chapter 11 and Chapter 7 and who've heard about Chapter 9 but probably have never dealt with it. So the concept was that we would write a book for those lawyers as well as other professionals, financial advisors, accountants, and the like, who have heard about Chapter 9 and are hearing more and more about Chapter 9. So as to give them kind of a complete package of what you can expect to face if one of your clients ever winds up either as a debtor or a creditor in a Chapter 9 case. Yeah, that's great. And I found it to be exactly that sort of useful overview. I like the way that um, you all touched very briefly on Chapter 11 and then went into depth in about Chapter 9 um, to explain the differences. Um, just yesterday, the former mayor of Los Angeles wrote in a Wall Street Journal op-ed piece that Los Angeles may be on the brink of bankruptcy. There are also reports that a smaller city, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, is considering filing under Chapter 9. Um, are the floodgates about to open on municipal bankruptcy filings? Uh, George, what, what do you think of that? Well, uh, you know, given the, the current economic climate that has contributed to a decrease in revenues at the state, city, and local level throughout the country, I think that many municipalities are considering or will in the near future seriously consider whether a Chapter 9 bankruptcy filing would be advantageous. I also believe that financially strapped municipalities will, in increasing numbers, threaten their creditors with the possibility of a bankruptcy filing. Uh, however, putting aside the possibility of a, of a Los Angeles or Harrisburg bankruptcy in the near future, I, I don't really think that the floodgates on municipal bankruptcy filings are necessarily about to open. Uh, for the reasons discussed in our book, there are many factors which go into a municipality's decision to file for bankruptcy, and doing so may not be the panacea that some who advocate for such a bankruptcy filing may suggest. Mm. Uh, there's good reasons why an entity such like Jefferson County, Alabama, um, has not filed for bankruptcy, even though they've been in financial distress for, for some time now. 
uh, and neither has the Chapter 11 filing by Vallejo, California, two years ago, caused a multitude of other municipalities to rush into bankruptcy court. So I think it'll, it will depend on the situation, and I think certainly there will, there will be more bankruptcy filings of municipalities uh, in, in the next period to come, uh, and we'll just have to see how it goes. Yeah, and so, Patrick, let's talk a little bit about some of the problems generally facing municipalities today. What are some of those significant problems? I think you and George have covered a primary problem, which is declining revenues uh, that has been exacerbated by the reception. Sales property, sales and property tax collections are down, and it will take those some time to rebound. In addition to that, municipalities are in a really tough spot in terms of expenditures. Uh, cities across the country face uh, aging infrastructure. It's going to require enormous capital outlays to upgrade, for example, sewer and water systems pursuant to EPA mandates. Um, another problem is the um, uh, increasing employment costs and, and uh, pension benefits that I think uh, Mayor Reardon was talking about in the, the piece about Los Angeles the actuarial reality of, of, of the simple arithmetic of an aging uh, population makes those kind of outlays increasingly difficult. And I think that's a, a good bit of what uh, Mark has been dealing with in Vallejo. Uh, that's right, Patrick. Uh, as the rest of the panelists and Juliet know, uh, I represent the city of Vallejo in its Chapter 9 case, which was filed in May 2008. And while Vallejo's general fund is obligated for certain institutional debt, uh, it's variable rate debt, and that really wasn't crushing the city the way its labor contracts were. These are long-term contracts with cost-of-living escalators, with very generous pension benefits uh, and health care benefits, the so-called OPEB, uh, other post-employment benefits, that, for example, permitted a firefighter or a police officer to retire at age 50 at 90% of his or her highest salary uh, under the so-called 3 at 50 rule that we have in California. And while the city wanted to pay and did pay top dollars in order to attract the best people, it simply couldn't afford to pay them. And we're seeing that all throughout California, and I suspect through the country, where you're paying civil servants a fair and sometimes uh, more than fair living wage in order to get the best people. However, the cities, the counties simply can't afford to pay them. So more and more we're seeing cities and counties in California grappling with this issue and touching back on something that was said before, we haven't seen a flood of Chapter 9 cases because often people are making deals. Unions and cities are coming together and saying, how can we help? And as painful as it is to pass up on cost of living escalators built into a binding contract, people realize that if, if that doesn't happen, what's going to happen is layoffs. And if there are minimum staffing rules in the contracts and you can't lay off, then there'll be stoppages of payments to other places, such as to other people, such as bondholders. And that's just an untenable situation. Well, it seems that, that Chapter 9 is, is a good solution for, for some municipalities. And, and Patrick, you mentioned a few minutes ago that Chapter 9 for others may not be a panacea. It also seems that for political reasons, bankruptcy might not be a palatable solution to a municipality's financial problems. Um, also, as you explain in your book, though, um, a municipality might not even be eligible to file for bankruptcy. Um, Patrick, what happens when a municipality cannot pay its debts and either cannot or will not seek Chapter 9 relief? 
Well, then some creditors won't get paid because there's not enough money to go around. And the political issue will be uh, whether the political entity is able to raise revenues through other tax sources to meet those obligations. Uh, as Mark has pointed out, ultimately, in many states, if uh, if a creditor is not being paid, its legal recourse is to get a writ of mandate from the court ordering the individual that fills a particular municipal office to pay the bill. And if the individual does not comply with that mandate, he or she may be subject to personal liability, in which event um, they either have to come up with the money or they face the possibility of, of, of having to resign to avoid personal liability. And in that event, um, the government may be, become... Uh, hard to manage. Yeah, boy, that's for sure. And this is Mark. Let me just jump in on that and talk about California law just for a moment. In California, if a creditor has a judgment against, let's say, a city, uh, which is one species of municipality, mm -hmm. uh, the creditor goes uh, with its judgment, says to the city, pay up. The city says, no, I'm not going to. So then the creditor goes to the sheriff or goes back to the Superior Court, excuse me, and gets a writ of mandate. And the writ of mandate compels the officer, let's say the chief financial officer, to write a check. And if that person does not write the check, then there is personal liability. Now, that would cause either someone to, uh, to resign from the post or to, uh, or to write the check. But if the city doesn't have the money to write the check, because doing so would violate let's say, the, the prohibition against borrowing from restricted funds and not being mm -hmm. able to repay them in a year, then you've got a stalemate. Okay. Um, let's, let's talk about eligibility for a minute because the eligibility requirements for Chapter 9 are quite different from those for Chapter 11. And in fact, you know, you just mentioned, for instance, that city is one species of municipality and, of course, only a municipality can file for Chapter 9. But who can file for Chapter 9 and what are the legal impediments that might keep a municipality from filing? Mark? The difficulty to get into Chapter 9 really stems from the Tenth Amendment to the Constitution, which reserves powers to the state. And it says that the federal government and the federal courts simply have a limited role in telling the states and their subdivisions how to operate. So Bankruptcy Code Section 109C contains a number of hurdles that a municipality has to overcome in order to qualify and be eligible for Chapter 9 relief. And unlike in Chapter 11, where petition is filed and everybody goes on their merry way. In Chapter 9, the petition is filed. Notice is published three times in a local publication and three times in a national publication that bondholders read, i.e. the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, uh, giving folk the notice that they can object to eligibility. And if there is an objection, then there can be a trial on whether these four criteria have been met and actually five because there's a fifth one built into a different section of Chapter 9, namely the requirement of a good faith filing. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the first one is that, first off, you have to be a municipality, and that's easy in the case of a city or a county or a hospital district. But very recently there was a question in Nevada in the Las Vegas monorail case about whether the monorail was indeed a municipality or not. Uh, because the municipality or the monorail filed a Chapter 11 case. And we don't discuss that in the book because this is very recent, but if someone listening to this has a question about what is and what isn't a municipality, Bruce, Judge Bruce Markell wrote a very lengthy opinion that will be published somewhere 
that addresses that. But again, for Vallejo or Jefferson County, Alabama, not a question, their municipality. Uh, the second one is that the state has to authorize the filing. And in California, we have a provision in the government code that essentially says if you are a municipality, then you are eligible for Chapter 9 relief. Uh, many states, I believe about half, are silent on the issue. So if you're in one of those states and you're a municipality that needs relief, you have to go to the legislature, get a bill passed, mm -hmm. and have the governor sign it. Although another recent case we do not discuss in the book, which was just rendered a couple of weeks ago in New York City, found that an executive order authorizing the New York off-track betting entity, I don't know the name of it, uh, to file a bankruptcy case was sufficient. And uh, Judge Glenn, a bankruptcy judge in New York City, issued a, a lengthy opinion that I also assume will be published and that may or may not be on appeal right now. So again, if someone has a question about state authorization, you've got to look at it. Mm -hmm. As an aside, in California, a bill is working its way through the legislature and most likely will end up on Governor Schwarzenegger's desk within a month that would limit, if not eliminate, the ability of a municipality to file a bankruptcy case. This was promoted by the firefighters' union, which didn't like what happened to the firefighters in Vallejo. And so it's very possible that, well, certainly if the governor signs, Chapter 9s in California will be difficult, if not impossible, hmm. to file. Uh, the other two requirements, real quickly, are, one, naturally, the local government governing body has to approve. In mm -hmm. the case of Vallejo, it was the city council. In the case of a county, it's the board of supervisors. And as Patrick and, and Dan know from Jefferson County, sometimes getting that approval locally is, is difficult. It, in Vallejo, it turned out to be a seven-to-nothing decision, but it was after much, much wrangling, and finally the city council coming to the realization that there was no alternative to Chapter 9. And the final one is it, 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 you have to take steps to try to avoid Chapter 9, such as trying to negotiate a plan before you file, kind of an unusual requirement, or uh, the court must find that negotiating a plan would be impracticable. And in fact, uh, the bankruptcy judge in the Vallejo case affirmed on appeal by the BAP found that negotiation was impractical in the case of the of Vallejo because there were just too many retirees who had too many large claims and they simply weren't capable of rounding up into a room and talking about a plan. And the major creditor holding the certificates of participation, the bonds, essentially said, well, said in testimony at the eligibility hearing that the bank wasn't going to talk to the city until it made some peace with the labor unions, and the labor unions were unwilling to, uh, unable to cut a deal with the city, and therefore negotiations were impractical. But again, many hurdles to go over. This was tested in Vallejo, uh, and mostly on the final issue I've got to mention, namely that the city or the municipality has to be insolvent. Mm -hmm. And as we know, the bankruptcy code defines just about every term, and insolvent is defined. And in the case of a municipality, it means cash flow. It either cannot pay its bills now or the near future. And the Bridgeport case in the 90s decided the near future meant if you can pay your bills the next fiscal year, you're not insolvent. So given the eligibility requirements, obviously Chapter 9 is something that a municipality uh, considers for, for quite a while before doing. Um, I find it very interesting that, uh, of course, the state's uh, must authorize a Chapter 9 filing uh, because of the Tenth Amendment. And uh, the, the book contains uh, a fantastic chart 
in the appendix that sets forth um, the, the various state statutes that authorize a Chapter 9 filing and, and the scope of those statutes. And I understand, Dan, uh, you put that chart together, and it, it's very useful. Um, Dan, can you talk about some of the other significant differences between Chapter 9 and Chapter 11? Sure. There are uh, a number of key differences between the two chapters. Um, I'll touch on a few of the important ones, and then George can add uh, some additional ones that he sees. But um, one important thing is that chapter, uh, there's a section in Chapter 9 that lists various provisions of the bankruptcy code that will apply in cases under Chapter 9. And any section that's not in this list will not apply in a Chapter 9 case. And uh, some of the important ones, for example, are uh, Section 303 of the Bankruptcy Code, which in a Chapter 11 case would apply and permit creditors to file an involuntary petition against the debtor, does not apply in a Chapter 9 case. So a Chapter 9 case can only be commenced by the, munis by the uh, municipality itself. Mm -hmm. uh, also, Section 1121 of the Bankruptcy Code, which under certain circumstances permits creditors to file competing plans of reorganization, does not apply in Chapter 9. So only a debtor can propose what in Chapter 9 is termed a plan of adjustment. Um, in addition, Section 541, which ordinarily creates a bankruptcy estate, does not apply. Um, so certain restrictions in the bankruptcy code that uh, would, would restrict the debtor's ability to utilize the state property would not be applicable. Um, and also, uh, Mark touched upon this, but the Tenth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution provides some significant limitations on the power of a court to control, to exercise control over a municipality in a Chapter 9 case. Um, and, if I, and actually, in Section 904, the code also lists uh, certain specific activities that the court cannot interfere with, and that includes uh, the, the political, governmental powers of the debtor and the debtor's use of its own property during the case. So therefore, the debtor is, is basically free during Chapter 9 to pay pre-petition debts, uh, use cash collateral, um, enter into transactions outside of the ordinary course of business, so the, the debtor has a lot more freedom op to operate in a Chapter 9 case than otherwise Chapter 11. And this is uh, George. Um, you know, in addition to some of the things Dan mentioned, um, and as he noted, uh, you know, 364 of the bankruptcy, uh, I'm sorry, 363 of the bankruptcy code doesn't apply uh, in a Chapter 9. So in effect, the debtor can sell assets, um, you know, without bankruptcy court approval. Uh, in, in addition, uh, the, the debtor is the only party that can file a plan of reorganization uh, in Chapter 9. And there is no deadline uh, in which to do that that's specifically outlined in the Bankruptcy Code. Uh, rather, the, the court will set a deadline uh, for the debtor to file its, its Chapter 9 plan. If the debtor doesn't comply with that deadline, uh, no, no creditor can file a plan. A, a creditor's remedy in that regard is to request that the court uh, either either compel the debtor or or dismiss the case. Uh, in addition, 
there's a special provision in Chapter 9, 928A, which states that uh, special revenues acquired by the debtor after the commencement of the bankruptcy case remain subject to a pre-petition pledge, um, any pre-petition pledge of such assets. And effectively, that, that makes 552A uh, inapplicable in that situation, which is a, a very important um, a provision for secured parties. Sure. And, and I'd like to um, go back a little bit uh, to the limited jurisdiction that a bankruptcy court has to tell a municipality what it can and cannot do with its assets. Um, Patrick, what, if any, leverage do creditors have both prior to and following a Chapter 9 case to affect the outcome of the case? Well, creditors do have leverage. Uh, first of all, the point just made is that special revenue pledges uh, in Chapter 9 are protected. They can't be avoided as preferences. They can't be set aside post-petition. And uh, the bondholder's ability to collect special revenues uh, continues after Chapter 9 is filed. Um, in addition to that, there are the eligibility requirements that, that, that Mark talked about. It's very hard to file Chapter 9. It's very hard to stay in. And uh, you have to, unlike in Chapter 11, you, you, you face a trial uh, before you can even exonerate your right to have access to the remedy. And I, mm -hmm. uh, uh, that, that can take months or even years. So um, there is considerable legal leverage that the creditors have. Of course, uh, defeating a uh, Chapter 9 petition gets you back to the point we discussed um, earlier, which uh, doesn't necessarily lead to good solutions for the creditor body if there's simply not enough money to go around. Most municipalities are local governments that can't be forced into liquidation. Their services have to continue, and in that event, these legal issues quickly become political issues above our pay grade, but uh, as Mark has suggested, uh, creditor constituencies can also sometimes exert significant political control to get uh, through the legislature what they can't get through the courts. Mm, absolutely. And this, is, this is, Mark, this is what troubles me so much about what may happen in California. We have a, a number of people in the Vallejo case who want the case dismissed, and I say to them, if the case is dismissed, how does that solve anything? Mm -hmm. How does that enable the city to pay you? Because it, it doesn't create money. It simply means that there's no court protection and no way to issue, to, to do an organized restructure of the city's finances. And that's what's going to face people in states, cities and states that, that have no authorization for Chapter 9, just what happened? Yeah, it's an interesting point. You know, it, it sort of goes to you know, sort of this common view that, that bankruptcy is what causes you not to pay your debts rather than the other way around. But go ahead. Uh, this is George. I, I was just going to ask Mark, you know, what about the argument that um, people might say that, and I'm not involved in the Vallejo case, but uh, what about the argument that people would say, well, if you dismiss the case, then that would put more pressure uh, on the government to actually increase revenue by, by taxing people. Well, it's a good argument, George. And the, the problem is, and again, this is just California. I can't speak to other states. But in California, it's nigh on to impossible for a local government to increase revenue absent a vote of the, bono, uh, of the people. Uh, we have, you've all, everyone's 
familiar with Proposition 13 that caps the amount of property taxes that can be charged. And that the property taxes, of course, still relate to the value of the property. And due to the downgrade in the value of properties in California, the revenues are going down and not up. And Prop 13 can't be changed. And so, but under Prop 218, votes of the people are necessary to approve a general revenue raise, which is just, you know, the Board of Supervisors raises money and can spend it however it wants. You only need 51% or 50% plus one for that. If you want to use it for a specific purpose, you need two-thirds. But California residents are simply unwilling to pass bond revenues. No city official ever gets elected on a promise to raise taxes. And when you go to the voters for revenue raises, they're very rarely successful, particularly in this environment. I've been singing that song in Vallejo since before we filed the case, telling people at public city council meetings, you've got to raise revenue. This, this re restructuring can't be borne on the backs of employees who have valid binding contracts who are going to be taking hits. People in the city have to feel some pain as well, because that's the way bankruptcy works, and you have to raise revenue. And yet city council members have said, on the record, I will never vote to raise revenue. So it's a problem in California where you need to vote of the people, and the people want the best police and the best fire, but aren't willing to pay for it. Well, and and that's a good point. So you know, let's let's talk sort of more more generally um, about Chapter Nine, and and specifically what happens to a city and to its relationships with creditors um, immediately after a Chapter Nine filing. Mark. Well, certainly in the case of Vallejo, we don't know because we're still in Chapter 9 and haven't yet proposed our plan, which, by the way, we, we hope and expect to do this summer. The, um, the, the best example, I suppose, is Orange County, California, which, of course, is 15 years ago. And the way Orange County got out of bankruptcy was not by raising revenues because the sales tax went on the ballot and the people in Orange County voted it down, but instead... Uh, the city was able to finance its way out because it was financeable. Well, Orange County was in bankruptcy because of bad, uh, some would say criminally stupid, investments by the, the county treasurer, and that was something that was fixable. You change the county treasurer, you make good investments. The tax base was there. This, the county was not systemically insolvent the way that Vallejo is. Vallejo is simply unfinanceable. So there's been talks in, in the marketplace, and I've spoken to a number of securities groups, about punishing Vallejo in the capital markets for filing Chapter 9. Yeah, and actually we'll get back to that a little bit later about what, what would happen to a city that files. But actually, um, what, what I'm asking is, if for let's say for residents of a city who are hearing that their city maybe filing for bankruptcy or even, you know, say for a bankruptcy lawyer, somebody who knows something about Chapter 11 and hears, okay, my, you know, the, the city may be filing for bankruptcy. I mean, we've already heard that, for instance, after a filing, the city can use its property without court permission because uh, a Chapter 9 filing does not um, create an estate and there's limited uh, ability of a court to um, tell a city what it can and cannot do with its property. Um, but are there any similarities with Chapter 11? I mean, for instance, um, does the automatic stay apply in Chapter 9? What are, what are some of the things that, um, that, that happen to the city's ability to, uh, to run? Well, this is Mark. I'll take okay. the first shot sure. and I encourage others to jump in. And let me, let me talk about the automatic stay, which does apply in Chapter 9 and was very important to Vallejo for one very important reason. Uh, 
as we all know, the automatic stay only applies to the debtor and not to third parties except in Chapter 13 for co-borrowers. However, in Chapter 9, there's a specific provision that extends the automatic stay to officers and residents of the city and or the municipality. And the reason for that, of course, is, again, in California, if you could go out and get a writ of mandate against the finance director to pay a bill, that would be kind of a neat way around the automatic stay. So that's why the bankruptcy code provides for this extended automatic stay. And the whole idea in Chapter 9, just like in Chapter 11, for the automatic stay is to give the debtor the breathing space to figure out how to get the heck out of its debt problems. So in that sense, Chapter 9 and Chapter 11 are very similar. Uh, the other similarity, and maybe somebody else wants to address this one, is that you have to confirm a plan. You have to get votes uh, of at least one impaired consenting class, and cram down is possible. And there are a couple of other specialty, special aspects of that, but the, the plan process, as we view it, is, is pretty similar. In fact, in Vallejo, what we're doing right now is we're crafting a bar order that looks an awful lot like a Chapter 9, 11 bar order, except you don't have the business in there about if you're scheduled, then you don't have to file a claim because you don't have to file schedules in Chapter 9. Okay. Actually, let's talk a little bit uh, about the Chapter 9 plan of adjustment. Did somebody else want to jump in there? Well, I was just going to uh, mention, this is George, I was just going to mention that um, one, another similarity uh, is that there, there are there, committees of unsecured creditors are appointed mm -hmm. in the Chapter 9, Chapter 9 cases. Um, now, for the reasons we've talked about, in, including the limitation on the jurisdiction of the, of the court over a municipality um, and, you know, the fact that a, a, um, a debtor is the only one that can file a plan, a committee's uh, ability to affect the the outcome of a Chapter 9 case may be more limited than in a Chapter 11 case, mm. but the, the committee can still, um, you know, be heard and, and object to um, activities that are going on, including, as Mark suggests, uh, the plan process. And the committee can also uh, be active in um, trying to get the court to set a deadline for the debtor to file a file its plan. Um, so that's uh, just a, a one point I wanted to note. Oh, that's great. Thank you. And and let's talk a little bit about the Chapter 9 plan of adjustment. And I'd, I'd like to toss this to you, Patrick. Um, one requirement for confirmation um, is that a Chapter 9 plan must be proposed in good faith. Another is that the plan must be in the best interest of creditors. Um, do those terms carry a different meaning in Chapter 9 than in Chapter 11? And if so, what do they mean in Chapter 9, the good faith and best interest of creditors? Well, it's, it's hard to say um, because in Chapter 11, uh, best, best interest of creditors and fair and equitable, those tests are directly tied to the concept of the liquidation of the corporate entity right. in lieu of uh, reorganization. And the, both of those phrases are some terms of art and have pretty specific meanings under the statute and the, um, the case law. You've got to look at whether it is worthwhile to keep the corporate enterprise going. And if creditors are as well off or better off, if the corporate enterprise liquidates, then uh, your plan may not meet those standards. And that's uh, pretty straightforward and fair enough, and it's understandable. But municipalities can't liquidate or at least most, most can't, uh, some can, some single-purpose entities could, could sell their, their operations. Um, 
but a true municipality in the sense of a governing entity like a county or city can't liquidate. Mm-hmm. It can't sell its assets and cease to exist. It must continue to operate. So phrases like fair and equitable and what's in the best interest of creditors may have a meaning closer to what those words mean in normal, normal usage and in the dictionary. And you mm-hmm. have to have a subjective determination as to whether or not this course of action is uh, as good as or superior to and is fair and equitable to the other constituencies. And you get into the kind of uh, uh, discussions that Mark mentioned ago, and those those discussions can become circular uh, and, and, and involve uh, matters of public policy. Okay. Um, now, as, as we mentioned before, Chapter 9 incorporates the Chapter 11 requirements regarding plan acceptance. Um, therefore, if one impaired class of creditors accepts the plan, dissenting classes could be subject to cram-down. Um, George, what are the practical realities of attempting to use cram-down in a Chapter 9 case? Well, uh, if a municipality is attempting to cram-down its, its Chapter 9 plan on a secured creditor class, the court will, in most cases, um, I would think, need to determine the value of a revenue stream over time. And uh, that will likely be a complex complex task. Uh, it will involve arguments on both sides as to how much and to what extent the municipality will be able to and, and should increase taxes in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, that's probably a, a tricky uh, thing to do. Um, Moreover, for the reasons we've discussed concerning, uh, we've discussed the book concerning future access to credit markets, municipality may be disinclined to involuntarily impair its secure bondholders um, at at all. Uh, You know, I would would just remark that um, in Orange County, which is, you know, so far the largest Chapter 9 case that has been filed, uh, the bondholders were not impaired in that case. So, it, you know, I think the cases where, if, if there are any cases of significance where a, uh, a, a secured creditor class, bondholder class, has been crammed down, uh, I think they're few and far between. Mm, I see. And, you know, already a couple of times um, you all have, have mentioned um, access to the capital markets. Um, of course, the municipality will still need to borrow money after Chapter 9. Um, how do Chapter 9 filings tend to affect the ability of those municipalities to raise money? Well, certainly in Vallejo, that's the big question. And we don't know because we're not out of Chapter 9. But the way I look at it is that if Vallejo did not file its Chapter 9 and it couldn't pay its debts, and it couldn't pay its debts as a uh, we proved to the bankruptcy court affirmed on uh, on appeal at the BAP, then how could it possibly access the credit markets then? Because it simply had no borrowing ability. So if it comes out of bankruptcy with its balance sheet delevered, as it were, and of course we don't have a balance sheet, we're looking at cash flow, but Mm -hmm. it has the capacity to borrow, it ought not to be punished, in my opinion, for having gone through bankruptcy and made it possible to have a cash flow or a pro forma that would enable it to repay future debt. Now, who knows what the markets will do, whether people will just say, well, Vallejo is in bankruptcy, we're not going to loan to it, 
or they'll simply look at the credit sheet and say, and look at the financials and say, no, this, this this city now can afford to pay us back because it's it's mm-hmm. it's got control over its labor contracts. Now, getting back to what we were talking about before with pension, future pension liabilities and, and, and the like, that's that's kind of terrifying for all California and other cities and counties around the country. But at least uh, it, it seems to me that Vallejo shouldn't be punished. Certainly, with over 10,000 uh, Chapter 11 filings a year, companies emerge from Chapter 11 and are better, better credit risk than the way went, when they went in mm-hmm. because they've delivered their balance sheet. I was recently at a conference in New York City where uh, a senior person from Moody's was asked the same question, and I was pleased to see that his answer was the same as mine, at least in the opinion of, of this individual, and I assume he spoke for Moody's, that you know what's going to happen in the future is, is that Moody's will look to the creditworthiness of the company and not say the, comp- the city and the municipality shouldn't be punished because it took advantage of a federal bankruptcy protection that enabled it to become solvent. Sure. Yeah, I'm sorry. This is George. I, I think, George. you know, the, the real question underlining, um, underlying this, this whole issue is, is, is how long will it take and at what, at, at what's the price at which um, a municipality will be able to, to you know, enter the capital markets again? Mm-hmm. And I, I think, um, you know, yeah. it could be expensive for them to do that. Uh, they may be able to do it, uh, you know, fairly soon after exiting bankruptcy, but I think it'll be expensive. I mean, you look at Orange County again, it took them about four years before they re-entered the capital markets based on their own credit, uh, their own investment uh, great credit. Um, and again, in that case, they pay their bondholders in full. So uh, I think right. things have, may, may have changed since Orange, the, the time of Orange County, but you're still dealing with the rating agencies. You're still dealing with a, a, a general public. Uh, to the extent they are the ones buying the bonds, who traditionally views municipal bonds as a safe investment, sure. and how they will do, how they will view a, a bankruptcy filing of that municipality uh, previously um, is, is anyone's guess in that particular situation. But certainly, um, you know, Mark's point is is a, is a good one that you know you're, if you're dealing with a Chapter 11 company and it comes out of bankruptcy and its, it's balance sheet is is readjusted. Um, you should look at the new the new balance sheet, not the old balance sheet. Yeah, that's so, you know whether that whether that will be true for a, a municipality is will depend on the circumstances. I think. Yeah. No. Great points. Um, we have time for one last question, and I know George and Mark, you you have different views on this. Um, it seems like there might be an opportunity for hedge funds here. Um, George, do you think it's likely that hedge funds will try to capitalize on distressed municipal debt opportunities? I think you will you'll have some opportunistic distress funds that will look at buying debt of distressed municipalities. I know I know for a fact that some have done just that. Um, whether in fact they decide to invest all that heavily in distressed municipal debt will of course depend upon pricing, which is always the case, and also whether they feel they can get their hands sufficiently around the risks associated with a potential Chapter Nine case. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. It could be argued that, that um, you know, and, and Mark may take the view um, that funds may be concerned about the negative publicity, suggesting that they're trying to capitalize on the hardship of, of the municipality or the, the general public. I, I don't think that will prove to be an impediment. Um, I think it will be more whether uh, 
you know, funds can, can get a better understanding as to how, um, you know, a potential Chapter 9 case, uh, the likelihood of a Chapter 9 case, and, and whether and what will happen in the Chapter 9 case. Great. Mark, do you have anything to add? It's really just, it would just be speculation because in the Vallejo situation, all of the public debt of the municipal, uh, of the general fund, with one small exception, has been repurchased by Union Bank, which was the liquidity provider. So the the debt isn't trading. Uh, but I've, I've learned with hedge funds that there's no way to predict what they're going to do. Well, that's great. Well, I'd like to thank you all, Patrick, Dan, Mark, and George, for joining me. Uh, I enjoyed your book very much. I found it very informative, and I have enjoyed talking with you today, and I'm sure that ABI members will enjoy listening to our conversation. From the ABI, this is Juliet Morangello. Thank you for listening.